Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Uh, yeah, well, hey, fellas, take a look around. What are we surrounded by down here? Coach. Yeah, Jamie. We're surrounded by poopy. Mm-hmm, that's right. But if you ask me, we're surrounded by a whole bunch of poopy up there as well, yeah? See, gentlemen, right now y'all's brains are basically London in 1857. They're blocked up by other people's dookie. Y'all need to make an internal sewer system within yourself and then connect to each other's tunnels. Help each other keep that flow. So if you're ever having a crisis of confidence, you know, borrow some of Jamie's. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Welcome to season three of What Would Ted Lasso Do? Um, I'm so excited to be back. So am I. I'm excited to dive in to season three. I was listening to an interview that Jason Sudeikis gave and he was talking because, you know, a lot of people are like, what's going to is this really the last season? Is there going to be more? And uh, he was talking about how they've packed so much into this season that it's like two seasons in one. And Mm. I have to say, like the fact that the first two episodes are already longer than uh than the ones we saw in the past i can totally see how that is so well even before that didn't we, wasn't he at the white house wasn't yeah, the whole ted lasso they were what, what were they doing there do you know yeah they they were brought in to talk about mental wow, health that's awesome yeah yeah it was actually really cool that they were given that opportunity interesting that he kind of was there in character a little bit <laughs> but it was funny at the press conference that they gave went to get the first question trent crim the reporter was there so yeah saw that go trent crim oh man such a fan let's go yeah so today we are talking about season three episode one smells like mean spirit and this one was written by leanne bowen previously had written the diamond dogs episode in lavender so we saw that in season one and season two and this was directed by mj delaney so any overarching themes that you saw or anything that really stuck out to you to start with? Well, I think what stuck out to me at the beginning was just like Ted's face at the beginning of it. I think you mentioned this at the end that whose face represents the beginning and whose face represents the end of a a season or a show. So it just shows him a little like distraught. And then I thought I knew what he was distraught about, but then his like, kid has been there for six weeks and he's like leaving and i'm like oh man and they're playing with lego they just built afc richmond out of lego i was like oh this takes me back to my lego days i know i totally thought of you when i saw that i was like oh i bet jeff's gonna buy one of these at some point yeah yeah so to your point uh they've said that the 
you know, they've shown that like the whoever's face is seen at the the first episode is usually who will see at the last episode, but it also is the person who has the biggest, I don't want to say growth, but like transformation, right? Yeah. And so in season one, we saw Rebecca and it was like a positive transformation, right? Yeah. But then in season two, we saw Nate and his was kind of not so positive. Yeah. And so it is curious to see what Ted's transformation will be this season, but we're getting the indicator that his will be kind of the biggest one in the bunch. So yeah, I felt like this was kind of a typical, I feel like they do this every season. The first episode is kind of a setup to let us know where everyone's at and what each character is doing. And having said that, though, I also felt like there were, for me, there were some kind of overarching themes that started to show. And for me, I think in this episode in particular, but I'm curious and I'll be watching to see if these are being set up as overarching themes for the season now. But I saw facing our fears as one and being human and kind of the imperfection that goes with being human, right? And so this idea that a lot of times I think people feel like, oh, once I start doing the work and, you know, then it's going to be fine. And so we saw Rebecca had made all this progress and she's doing great, you know, and how easy it is to kind of backslide and just how human that is. And so, yeah. So that's kind of what uh, what came up for me. But let's let's jump into the beginning. So what I found really powerful about the beginning was they always show in shows the goodbye scene and then them going down the escalator and his kid looking back. But they rarely show after and the sadness after and the picking up of the Legos and the taking down of the fort that probably had been up for like six weeks. Right. And all the things that he was doing. And I and I it brought me a certain amount of of solace to know that Dr. Sharon was still there and he was still talking because he was able to talk through his feelings about what was going on and how he was like letting go of his son yet again. And then having to really explain to his son, like, you know why I'm here. And I thought that was just so interesting too, because even when his son finally lands and he and he's just like, you know. Well, you know, winning isn't everything as a son lands. And then, you know, he calls his son and they're talking. Well, he's like, well, winning isn't everything when they're talking about the season. And his son's like, well, you might as well try. And I thought that was just super fascinating because him as well as Rebecca, you know, we've talked about this the whole time. His first season, Ted was just building relationships. The second season, you know, they tried to be more competitive and now like they're back and it's just like, how is he going to show up with both this healthy masculine and this healthy feminine leadership um, where he's letting go of the results, but he still also is pushing to be the best. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Because each of the things that he set out to do, right? So create this team atmosphere, create the space where everybody came together to support each other. Like each of those kind of like benchmarks he was able to meet, right? Yeah. But it just, this thing about winning is interesting for him because, uh-huh. you know, like he said that to his son, like winning's not everything. And he said that before, like in past seasons, remember where Beard got really mad at the pub and was just like, yeah, yeah. but it's okay to win too. Yeah. And so it's curious, like, you know, his, his goal has always been to make his players the best that they are on and off the field, but maybe part of his transformation is being able to 
acknowledge that it feels good to win. It's okay to win. Right. And it's okay to want to win. You right. know, right? And it is curious that it said, but yeah, we have we have to at least try, right? And it makes you wonder, like, has has he tried to really win win? His focus has been on all these other things in the past. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too. The analogy to that would be people's relationship with money, right? Mm. Some people have a hard relationship with money in the sense of being like, well, if I make a lot of money, then that's a bad thing as well. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, I just want to do the work because I care about the work. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so do I. Just like Dr. Sharon, right? Just like yeah. I'm doing the work and I should get paid for it. Exactly. But sometimes people feel bad, especially when they're doing something that is really personal to them, that they should even charge for it. Right. And then yeah. when you finally get money, you're like worried it might corrupt you. And maybe that's partly what he's worried about with winning. Because winning can also corrupt. Yeah. You you see on the contrast side of Rupert, that's all he cares about. His whole life is set up that if he's not winning every single day, he's irrelevant. Yeah. And he probably doesn't want to turn into that either. Yeah, definitely. And so when I was talking about at the beginning, you know, when I talk about like themes and stuff like that, but this being kind of a setup episode, one thing that kind of was the through line for me for all the characters was that it feels like each of them is in like some kind of a crisis right now. And so for me, like for Ted, he's in this place of existential crisis right now, right? Like he's, right. he's thinking about like, well, why am I here? Like, why am yeah. I, I know why I came yeah. out here. Right. Why am I still here? Right. And am I now doing more harm than good? Right. And so that was like the first crisis that showed up um, that I could see. So one thing I do want to say about that kind of montage scene of Ted, like doing all those things, I agree. Like there's a sadness that comes when people leave, right? Like it's just this emptiness that you feel. And so the fact that a morning. Yes. Yeah, it is a grief. Exactly. And so he's like going through that whole process of cleaning everything up. And the song that's playing during that time is called Wigwam by Bob Dylan. So that's what we hear in the background. Um, and I wanted to say, I know a lot of people I've heard from people who are like, we love that you talk about the music because I said this at one point that the music in the show is like another character. Yeah. And somebody wrote to me and was like, yes, I feel the same way. And I found this really great website called Vague Visages, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But it has every single song in the show and it it tells you like where it's played like in wow. with what scene and so yeah it's super it's it's actually really cool <laughs> but the other thing that was kind of funny uh that somebody mentioned in one of the Ted Lasso groups was that you know when he's walking through the park and he stops to say hello to that woman and the baby uh-huh uh that's actually Brendan Hunt's real life partner and and kid really and so yeah i thought that was really cute that they got included in there all right. So we move from Ted, like getting ready and thinking through all these things. And now he's back to the office and he walks in and right off the bat. Uh, and so we find Rebecca and Higgins looking through all the papers <laughs> and just seeing that nobody has any faith in them. Right. Or in Richmond, I should say. And even the players find that out as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that now, like, that closeness is there so that as soon as Ted walks in, Rebecca's like, well, what's wrong? Like, You're not rhyming. There's no rhyming salutation like you normally have when you come in, you know? So then this is the part where I think we see Rebecca's crisis start to show up. So Rebecca's 
in this personal crisis where right. she just wants to beat Rupert, right? Right. Again. Again. Yeah. Well, there's a distinction she makes, right? She does. That she doesn't want to destroy him, which is what old Rebecca wanted to do. Right. And burn everything down like left eye. <laughs> exactly. You know, or, or Stella got her groove back where you burn down the car. She doesn't want to do all that. She just wants to beat them on the pitch. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she just, yeah, exactly. She just wants to win. And so, yeah, it's that whole exchange between her and Ted, I thought was really interesting. Yes. Yes. And, and it was because like, you know, he's just like, you know, he's happy go lucky. And then what, what is her exact words? Her exact words are something like, no, we, you know, you, this, that's a far cry from you saying you want to win. And then he's like, I said that. Right. So he doesn't even remember when he's just like, we're going to win this thing. He, um, and he doesn't just say we're going to win it. He says we're going to win the whole fucking thing. And Ted never swears. Uh, right. Uh, and I was like, did he really say that? So I went back and looked at the end of episode, uh, the last episode of season one. And he does say that. And so, yeah. And this and this is a fascinating aspect for me because, you know, I'm a play person. Right. And plays all about letting go of results. And what I've found Ted to be such a great leader in is letting go of results and simply being in the moment and processing. And the antithesis of play is perfection. And, you know, Rebecca is gleaning that perfection of like, we have to beat Rupert. We have to win. We got to get all these things. What are you doing? Get out there and, you know, and get things done. Right. And it's about results. And that takes him aback. Because up until this point, she has not been as involved, you know, especially in like the day to day. And it's just like, hey, do whatever you got to do. You know, we're just happy for you to be here. That's really interesting that you said that. And what sparked for me is so you're a play person and I'm like a compassion person, right? Like in the mindfulness work that I do, we we talk a lot about compassion and the flip side of compassion is also the perfectionism. And so What's really interesting to me is, so you're looking at this from like the results oriented side and of, you know, he's a coach and this and that. And I, we were laughing um, at the end of last season um, after we stopped recording about how much I've like kind of stood up for Nate and yeah. And I just want to clarify that I'm not condoning his actions. (laughs) I love it. You're like, let me just a disclaimer. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm not no. a West Ham fan. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not defending Nate's actions, but I'm defending his humanity, right? And so I oh. think you see like Ted's use of compassion rather than perfectionism as well. Like, so you see Nate on that perfectionistic um yes. he's like straight down that line now. Yes. Um, and that's where all this like fear and um anger and all of that lives, right? And so it's interesting that we're both watching the same thing through two different lenses, but coming out in the same place, which is we yes. want to get rid of the perfectionism. You yes. Know? And that it's really, it's, it's really unhealthy and dangerous, you know? And let me know if we want to go there, but the contrast between how Ted walks in and even though they're like talking and hanging out and, you know, there's a little bit of tension, but for the most part, there's still a friendly atmosphere watching Nate Yes. Go into West Ham, man. Like the stadium is massive. Mm-hmm. You know, just the parking lot looks drastically different from 
AFC Richmond, even how you get into the stadium, right? He he drives his crappy car in there that, frankly, later on is considered a cleaning lady's car. Like, it's just all these like, like, you know, he walks in, doesn't even acknowledge people as they're trying to acknowledge him. And then this person that I thought would have been his Higgins, right? Because the first person that walks in is like, Ted, you know, Nate the Wonderkin has arrived, even pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. And he's like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not even like a hello or not you know. even, which means like he's been there for a while and he tells this dude this every day or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And where does Nate go for his approval? Everything external, right? Exactly. He goes straight to Twitter. He's back to Nate last year, still obsessed with Twitter and still obsessed with perfection. But the perf- but here's the challenge of perfection. The perfection is from somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's not his own. It's what he needs approval on from everybody else. And that, like, you can just even even the person that comes in is like, you know, you need to go see. I don't. I don't even know what Rupert's last name was. Mannion, right? Like, it's so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're so worried about making any level of mistakes, right? Yeah. And and at the same time that like Rupert is saying, I have faith in you, you know, he does it as soon as like he starts losing. Like you just feel it in that place, like just no room for error. And that is a scary place. That is not a psychologically safe place at all. Not at all. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) That external validation is, you know, we need it to motivate to an extent, but we really need to be able to look more to validate internally and not to those, right? And to your point, like thinking back to, you know, in that leadership context, we see a lot of leaders who lead this way where they assert their authority and want to show that they're perfect. I have experienced this. I was like this when I first started leading, you know, where I wanted to show like that I know everything. I'm going to tell you how it needs to be. And it just sets everyone up for failure because now you've got a whole team of people who are just doing everything they can not to make a mistake. Not to get fired, doing whatever they need to do not to get fired, not to do well, but just not get fired. Yeah. And keep your head down. Yeah. And because mistakes are looked at often as a sign of weakness, like you're not pulling your weight or whatever. Right. Yep. And then that trickles down to everybody below them. And so it just becomes this toxic atmosphere. And when, with Rupert, he's like a master manipulator, right? Like he knows exactly what to say. And that whole show of bringing Nate in to his office and telling him like, oh, I believe in you. Like the, the very thing that Nate like ripped up Right. That he ripped up the believe sign and Rupert says to him, oh, like, I, I believe in you. Oh. And that's all he needs to hear. Right. And he compliments him on his little joke about, you know, which wasn't a joke. Nate was just commenting like, well, there's not a 21st place. Right. And he's like, you're so funny. And it's like, exactly. That's a good one for the press later. Again, like setting him up to being like his puppet. Right. Oh, so for me, this is Nate's crisis. I feel like Nate's in an identity crisis because yes. he's like trying to assert himself as the West Ham manager. Yes. And then he's also having to walk the line between that and being like Rupert's yes man. Right. And yes. And so I think that's an interesting um, place to be. And so I just want to talk about Nate since we're here. 
So when he arrives, like you said, he's super rude to everybody. Yep. Uh, what I think is funny is like the kind of chant for West Ham is um, I'm forever blowing bubbles. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh? Yeah. So like when he's driving back and forth, it's on the big screen. Like that's what. Oh, um, that's what I was wondering what that yeah. was. Okay. And I so I looked that up and it turns out it's it's West Ham's chant. And I wow. was like, that seems so like funny compared to his demeanor and how he right. like bubbles seem fun and light and right, you know. But apparently this uh <laughs> this chant came from a song in a Broadway from a Broadway musical, a 1918 Broadway musical called The Passing Show. And over time, this song made it its way over to England to the pubs and stuff like that. And somehow it got mentioned to a previous um, West Ham manager and it became like the song. And so now it's like their official chant. And so I just I thought that that was really um, kind of funny. So Nate's coaching style as well, right? Well, yeah, as soon as he's on the pitch, right? And he like he gets frustrated just like he used to get frustrated at AFC Richmond, but now he's the man. So he does the same strategy he did when he was at AFC Richmond. It's time for me to now shame someone publicly, but nobody's going to call him out on it. So like he's like this is the dumb dumb area. You know, dumb, this dumb is line, where you yeah. go when you make something again, right? He's now mimicking Rupert and he's like, now, next person to go out, make sure you don't also find yourself in the dumb, dumb area. And it's just like, yikes. And I'm sure there are some managers like that that are also super successful. But again, not a fun place. No building of the team morale. You're not seeing any of that. If anything, everyone is individual and you get called out for your individual successes, but you also get called out for your individual dumb dumbs. Well, to your point about coaches like this. One of our listeners, Brent Baxter, um, who's actually a friend of mine, he actually wrote to me at the end of last season and uh, had a really interesting observation. And then I looked online and found some stuff. But he said that um, it seems to me that Nate's transformation might be based on a real person, Jose Marino. Oh. Um, he's a, a world famous top level manager, highly decorated, multiple titles under his belt. I'm not sure, but I think he was never a high level player like most coaches were, but like Nate came up from nowhere and rose up. And he's also unbelievably narcissistic and toxic. He is. And so I looked it up and and there's actually, I'm going to link to an article in the show notes, but uh, Nick Mohammed uh, actually mentioned in that thing we linked at the end of last season um, that in his own mind, like the whole like hair turning gray and all of that was very much kind of a parallel to what this uh, Jose Marino had had kind of his trajectory. And so, oh, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So I thought that that was actually really interesting. The coach is both really successful, but all, but he, yeah, he's he's horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like so like he does win. You know, but he wins and then burns places down when it's over. And now I think he's at AS Roma, but he was also the Portuguese coach for a while. And, exactly. You know, and they they didn't do that well. Ah, toxic workplace. Yeah. Well, that's what they're saying. Exactly. Is that he's bouncing now from place to place and not necessarily producing the results that he once did. Right. And so because that stuff only works for so long. You after a while, you just burn people out. Yeah. And then you've got so you've got the dum dum line, but then you've also got um when Nate has to go up to see Rupert, 
he turns it over to his assistant coach, Disco, (laughs) and says, My uh, name is Disco, but that does not mean it's a party. (laughs) I was like, I love this. I know. I love Disco. (laughs) Um, And he said, do, you know, do this for five more minutes and then run them till they drop. And it reminded me of almost like a military culture. Yep. So going back to like the whole Star Wars theme, and we talked about this last season with this being like the stormtrooper training, you know. Yep. But that's kind of you know in the military that's what the, that's a lot of like how they will often train, right? Is just get like break people down until and then you you build them up the way that you want them to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of going off topic for just a moment, but uh, I was at this conference last week, right? And I went to one of these like morning icebreak or whatever things. And it was supposed to be this meditative experience. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go to some like meditation, breathing, breath work thing in the morning. And it was this Wim Hofer thing. Have you ever oh, heard of yeah, Wim, Wim Hofer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wim Hofer breathing. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. If someone listens to, loves Wim Hofer, hey, congrats. I hated it, but it was this whole idea of like pressuring, like, you know, you, you breathe really like, like strongly. And then you hold your breath for 15 seconds and then you do it again and you hold your breath for 30 seconds and then you do it again and you hold your breath for 60 seconds. And the whole time the person's like, you can do this. You can trust this. And I'm like, this is supposed to be like breath work is, is. I see it as like meditative. I see it as like connecting with your soul. And I felt like we were in a competition to, and I almost like passed out. And they say, you got to be careful. You might pass out during this thing. And I was like, why have we made meditation competitive? I was like, when did we make it so capitalistic and so patriarchal? That was just my experience. But I was just like, how do you take something so wonderful and then turn it into something so uh mean <laughs> that's how i felt while i was doing uh, so it. i'm gonna push back because well, go ahead go ahead wim, push back. Wim Hof <laughs> i did breathing, not like it yeah you, you didn't like it which is fine but wim hof breathing is not competitive breathing it's actually a very scientifically based um, technique but it's also based in traditional hindu pranayama breathing so the there's a very like scientific use for this kind of breathing in terms of what it does for your lungs and your lung capacity. And so especially if you're an elite athlete or you are in uh, like a lot of times they'll use Wim Hof breathing when they do like um, I think I want to say like Navy SEAL training and stuff like that, because in those situations where you have to be able to expand your lung capacity and stuff like that, um, this kind of breathing is known to help um, do that. And so it's not necessarily, and it's it's not that it's not meditative. It can be, but it's not for everyone, for sure. Yeah, it's De- and it's it's not definitely easy. not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not easy. Um, no, it wasn't easy. But it's very well known and is used by a lot of people in kind of those high stress um, situations. So, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I did not know that. I just was like, why are we so angry at this? I just I, don't, I just don't want people out there. Why are we so angry at this breathing yeah. right now? I don't want people out there being like, oh, I'm not breathing if it's going to be competitive. But a couple other things about Rupert. So, uh, you know, we've heard, again, going back to the Star Wars uh, metaphor. Uh, so there was a an interesting article about kind of the influences this season in how like things were decorated and stuff like that. And so for Rupert's office, 
it was designed to look like the emperor's throne. It does with the also circle yeah. that's there with the glass. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. so accurate. Okay, the other thing I do want to say is <laughs> there's a lot of Ted Lasso fans that are getting mean. Like I'm looking in really? these Ted Lasso groups and I remember in 2020 when the show first came out and being in these groups and people were just so nice to each other and like everyone was excited. <laughs> And now, like, not only are people kind of mean to each other sometimes, but, oh, man, there's a lot of pressure on, like, the writing and, like, well, you know, I oh can't believe they wrote this. I can't believe they did this. But one thing that I and I bring that up because people there's been a lot of complaints. People are like, this season is just not as good as past seasons. And I, it's that's so interesting. Yeah. But I one thing I did notice was that it does feel darker, like um, uh. and I mean, by like when you're looking at the actual like cinematography of it. Yeah. So when you look at like West Ham's press conference, like it's so dark in that room. Yeah. Um, Rupert's office is super dark. Yeah. And so there's a lot of darkness and it makes sense because they're like the dark side, right? Yeah. But the feel of things feels a little bit darker too. And so, yeah. Well, just to comment about the idea of like, you know, like it's not as good as it's such a fascinating process, right? Because, the first season, you're just so happy something like this exists. Especially during COVID. <laughs> Especially during COVID, right? You're yeah. just like, oh my gosh, this is like everything else is so negative. There and this is just, you know, this is just a, a breath of fresh air. And then by the second season, you're like, oh, I'm now building this relationship with this person, <laughs> which happens to be a show, but I'm really connected to this person. I really do love you. But sometimes you have weird episodes like the Coach Beard episode. You're like, so I don't like that. But for the most part, I like you. And then now now you're like, it's almost like you expect it, right? You're like taking it for granted. And you're like, well, it's just not as good as what it used to feel like when I first started. And you're like, it's so interesting, that process, because it's almost like you want the feelings from before. So you want the writers to create how you felt before, which is really hard. Like just as a content creator, more of my friends that have like millions of followers where they're like, when they're doing stuff at the beginning, they were like, oh, you're so good. But then later on, they're like, you're not doing as much as you used to do. You used to do this as if like you're not allowed to evolve, like you're not allowed to be something else. You're not allowed to change you know, and grow and maybe have a different opinion. They're like, well, this is what I, this is why I followed you in the first place, right? When at the beginning, they didn't know how, why they followed you. They just like being around you. And I find that evolution fascinating. And I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like creativity is evolution. At the heart of being creative is doing new things. Like you're never going to just keep creating the same thing over and over and over again, right? Some people will, like Friends. They just made the same crappy show over and over again, right? Like there's certain shows that just did that, but that's not this show. They did, except even within that, like that show has not aged well, but there was growth, like there was growth for the characters over the seasons, right? And so even that, like it shifted as it went. And so you you can watch any show like all the seasons of any show are not going to be the same. Like they're going to they're they're going to want to have an arc for their people and they want yeah. to like have show like how they've changed over time because of 
life experiences or things that have happened or whatever, you know? And to your point about being a content creator or a creative in general, like you are trying to fulfill within yourself too, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so for these writers, like, yeah, they want to create a show that's going to entertain and people are going to enjoy and all of that. But they're also creating because as a creator, like that's what drives you. And right. so to write the same thing over and over is not going to feel fulfilling as a creator, you know? Right. That's interesting. So going back to like the Death Star, right? And then, yeah. so I even thought about this, right? Rupert asks Nate to come to his office during the middle of practice. Mm-hmm. Such a- They practice all day. I mean, they practice, they're only on the pitch a certain amount of the day, but he's in the office all the time. So, but the fact that he did it then is such a power move such a power move yeah and then and then that nate's like um oh you want me to come now right yeah and then even the secretary is a very much like a stormtrooper right or you know the admin assistant like yes you know and then when he goes up there he literally says to nate he goes nathan shelley you are a killer Mm -hmm. right like he defines who nate is and then this part I found really fascinating because, you know, the the admin assistant is like, you know, one of the cleaners must have parked in the new place. Right. Mm. And the cleaner happened to be Nate's car. And before Nate admits it, Rupert says people have accidents and accidents have repercussions. And I was like, oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah. And just the way he said it was very like scary almost you know so like threatening mean. yeah and i was thinking like if i was that cleaner you know that cleaner's not getting paid a lot so yeah. <laughs> their check for their week just went down the drain because they're getting their car towed that's what i'm thinking the whole time and then it's funny when nate's like yes that is my car that is the car that i drove here but like what who owns anything right like he's just trying to like not admit that it that you know this is what i showed up in And then again, Rupert, power move, right? Might seem like a nice gesture of good faith, but he buys him a car just like he keeps buying him. He's buying pieces of his soul one piece at a time. Yeah. But to the power move point, you know, I think in my mind, I think Rupert knew that was Nate's car. First of all, his office looks out on the parking lot. Like That's true. I can't imagine he wouldn't know that that's not Nate's car. And so I think that's part of his power move is to to make that show of like pulling him out of uh, training at that exact yeah. moment. Like, like you said, mid-training, bringing him up. And <laughs> the assistant, her name is uh, Miss Cakes. And she's played by a woman named Rosie Liu. Um, I think she's very funny. And yeah, and so bringing him up in during that time into this office and then, you know, saying all these things. And it's just ha- it just so happens that at that time the car is getting towed. Like, right. I, I feel I like all of that. Think about that, that level of manipulation. Yikes. And he knows like Nate, Nate's going to be feeling ashamed that they would think that his car belonged to a member of the cleaning staff, you know, that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he's now supposed to be this big time coach and have an image and whatever. And so it's partly done to you see this with people in these kinds of power dynamic situations where, you know, part of this is let's humiliate this person so that, you know, and then we build them up because now we're going to get him this Aston Martin, you know, and he's going to be like 
yeah, I've I've earned this because just like he says, like, oh, I earned this position. I, I earned this car, you know, and so it almost feels like that grooming, right? That's what I was about to say. I was just like, it's so creepy, but that's the same strategy of grooming, right? You hurt them so badly and then you offer them, take care of them and fix their bruises. It's really messed up, dude. Ugh. Yeah. So one other just insight into Rupert, like we already know that he is this terrible man, but he says, when Nate says, well, how was your vacation? He says, oh, it was lovely. You know, we were oh, with yeah. our, our dear friends, the Sacklers. We were required to stay 50 miles offshore. And so for now, anyone who doesn't... Mean? So the Sacklers are the family that are like responsible for the opioid crisis in America. They, right. they were the ones who made the OxyContin and distributed it. So there's a, a great um, series that was created on Hulu um, called Dope Sick. Yeah. And it's all about this family. But uh, yeah, so the fact that those are his dear friends like tells you <laughs> like, what kind of person this this is. Wait, why do they have to stay offshore? Um, I'm guessing because if they went onshore, they'd either get like arrested or. Oh, I don't really? know. That's my guess. But. Oh, wow. Uh, cause they were in St. Bart. So I don't know. I, I, that's, that's my guess. And he's flexing that, right? He's like showing that as a flex, like, look who I'm yeah. hanging out with. And he thinks that he's proud of that. But most people would be like, you're an evil, you're an evil man. Yeah. And if anybody knows why they were required, if, if I'm wrong and it's not because of an arrest issue, please let us know. Cause I'm, I am curious too, but I, I'm, that's my guess. Because I thought the Sacklers just paid off a fine, like, because they're still making a significant amount of money. Yeah. They, they had to pay 6 billion in settlements, which is not, not very much chump change. Oh, really? Look at how much they made because we're talking about for the amount they're making. Yeah, I guess hundreds of billions that's probably of right that's probably right so it's nothing okay the other thing i was going to say real quickly is it's interesting because even like it seems very clear that rupert is doing all of this to take down rebecca as well because yes his whole thing is about isn't it interesting that they're like what they're saying about richmond and you yes. know and so it seems very much like this is he's playing the long game to get back at her because he's so, you know, whatever. And so anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Well, I also just feel as if there's a little political jabbing in the writing that I'm kind of liking because they throw the Sackler thing at one point uh, randomly right before another scene. They Someone says, F you, Joe Rogan. And yeah. it was just like, whoa. This is the second time she's done that, though. Oh, interesting. Keely, it was Keely who said that, and she did that in the last episode of season two as well. I did not know that. But yeah, I remember like when all this stuff about Ted's panic attack came out. Yeah, she was doing the press at that time, or like the publicity at the time, and she <laughs> she has that same exchange. Wow. So I don't know. I love this. I'm just I'm just loving the edge. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the team real quick. So for me, the team is also in crisis, right? Because now they're caught up with all the kind of negative talk. And so I I really loved this. And it was so interesting how they, like last season, we saw in the, the uh, episode on grief where they had Rebecca and Ted's stories going back and forth. And this time we have Nate's press conference and Ted's lesson to the team going back and forth happening at yeah. the same time which we love i love that yeah. yes yeah 
And so this is where the the first theme for me came out about facing our fears, right? Because he talks about how the reason he found this place was because his son had accidentally watched it right. and wanted to confront his fears, right? And I love this, this analogy and explanation of like creating your own internal sewer system, but yep. being connected to the people around you and, and using them for support when you need it, right? Instead of all that external noise, which is often the first thing that gets in our way when we are in any kind of like high pressure situation, right? Is we start hearing all the other um, noise around us rather than relying on our own intuition or rather than relying on the people around us who we know have our backs, right? Well, also, if you look at any team on any in any league around the world, when a team is successful, when a team wins the championship, much of the time, especially when it's an underdog, their whole rationale the whole time was we never listen to anything outside this locker room. We only cared about what's happening in this locker room because, frankly, people are going to say whatever they're going to say, right? And and the media, as well as the public, is very fickle. So they go from like, oh, this team's the worst, to oh, this team's the best, to oh, this team's the worst all the time. And if you're listening to any of it, whether it's good or bad, it's just exhausting. And for the teams that you hear it all the time, especially um, when I'm watching the Final Four, for all four of the teams have never been to the Final Four before. No one even picked them to even make it out of their their region, let alone make it to the Final Four. So why would they listen to chatter now, right? And that is what's so powerful about this analogy for them, because then it happens after they go to the sewer. And then they come back and they're arguing about something. And Ted's like, I have to step in. And and then Coach Beard and Roy are just like, wait, wait, wait. And then Jamie steps up and it's just like, just let it be like poop. We're just letting it flow. And everyone's like, oh, okay, okay. And you just love the team. The team is teaching themselves rather than having someone step in all the time. Meanwhile, on the opposite side, any mistake that's made, Always micromanaged, always micromanaged, never, never building any leaders within the team. And never really building a team, right? Yeah, like right. Nate's press conference is interesting because it's all him. And it's all about him. They ask him how he's doing with the team and he start. <laughs> I didn't know this. I had to I heard I had to look this up because I saw this in a reference in one of the articles I read. But his response about oh, I'm getting to know them, getting to like them, like uh-huh. it's actually part of a song from the king and i the musical uh, and so and he knows like he doesn't have anything to say because he doesn't really know his team right like he is such a like the way he's treating them he's not creating that sense of community that needs to happen uh, or connection that needs to happen and so right uh ironically he then starts to experience a panic attack right right which is like the very thing that he like mm-hmm outed Ted for is now he's going through and he has to revert back to, you know, his um, spitting, like his self-hatred. He has that flashback of also being bullied, right? Yeah. And so even before he gets the question about, you know, you were a, um, a kit man. And so this must all be overwhelming. Even before that, he's remembering like what his experience was like. And so 
I know I've talked about like I just finished writing a book and one of the things I talk about in there is this idea of like the stories that shape us. Yep. And so this is again why I keep defending Nate's humanity is because we talked about all the microaggressions that he experienced last season, the the subtle acts of exclusion, but he also had a lot of just overt bullying over the entire course of his time there even before Ted got there, right? And so all of that stuff has played into who he has become again, hurt people, hurt people. And so we can see why he reacts this way. And then the the contrast is Ted helping his team once again, come together to see like, hey, doesn't matter what anybody else has to say about us. You just focus on yourselves and each other, right? The other thing that was interesting to me is so Ted's son, Henry, is has really picked up some of his mannerisms, right? So when he's like leaving the airport, when he's leaving his dad, he makes some kind of a rhyming thing with Big Ben. Um, yeah, no, he goes, amen, Big Ben. Amen, Big Ben. Yeah. And such a Ted thing to say, right? And then Jamie, uh-huh. who Ted has kind of become a father figure to, has also started taking on some of Ted's characteristics, right? So now you've got Jamie, who, and what the team was, they weren't arguing. They were, they when they got back, they saw Nate's comments about the team. And so that's what they were all getting angry about. And so that's what he then he's like, hey, 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 like, it's all just poop, right? <laughs> just let it flow. And then when Danny says, oh, yeah, like the sewers, he says, bingo, El Ringo. And so like that whole thing, what Ted would have stepped in to do, Jamie just did. Right. And so I just thought that was like, that was really amazing. Like just great writing and just and great ways in which leaders are becoming leaders without being told they need to become a leader right and i also and also just love the contrast between then nate's press conference and then ted's press conference because at, so yeah. so someone needs to explain to me the whole spitting like uh, does he spit and then he then he always turns like is that the is that the you know the the hinge that's like the that's like the primer, right? So the primer, yeah. right? That's the primer yeah. because then he just starts bullying the reporters, right? Just like they were trying to bully him, and yeah. some people really like that, right? And then and and then when Nate says his line, you know, what do you think of AFC Richmond coming in twentieth? And he's like, not twenty first. And then he looks over to, you know, uh, Rupert, like, hey, yeah, Rupert, yeah. I mean, you told me it was a good, a good line. Now I knew it. It's like. You can just see the puppeteer and the puppet master playing their role, but also that it's like Nate's looking at him for approval, right? Like, yes, but Nate's also showing him I'm also a killer. I'm a killer and I'm killing this interview right now. Right. And then the whole thing with the sewer thing where then they see the photo and he's just like, you know, and then he makes the joke about what does he actually say about Ted and them going into the sewer? He says, yeah, it makes sense to me. They'd have to train in the sewer because their coach is so shitty. Which is so interesting because they just got out of relegation. They just got back into the Premier League. So it shows they're actually good. But yeah, that is just so... It's just like childish, right? And it's great for media because media loves that drama. Right. And then you've got Ted on the, like you said, on the flip side, who's just got this softer, more congenial tone with his reporters. He remembers their haircut. Yeah. Those little details, right, that he remembers. And what I loved about this scene, though, is 
rather than taking the bait. And Rebecca, Rebecca's angry. She wants him to fight, right? She's already called him in. Yep. She's told him, please fight. Like, I need you to fight. Yep. But he, that's not who he is. Like, that's not in his DNA. And I love that Keely sees that, right? Keely says, so you, you need to let Ted be Ted. And you need to let Rupert be Rupert. Like, and I was thinking about that today because I was like, I think part of that is that a lot of times we're in this, when we're in these positions where we're angry about something, part of it is we want that satisfaction of being able to say, like, I changed that person. Like, I I got them, you know, and, and they had to change their tone, right? Ooh, interesting. And the thing is, like, we can't change other people. Right. Like, we might, we might inspire people. We might... Um, get them. To, but at the end of the day, like we can't change people and especially people who we are in conflict with. We're not going to change them per se. Right. The only thing we can change is our reaction and how we show up. Right. And so in terms of like letting Rupert be Rupert, like he's always going to be a jerk and he's always going to be this way. So like, what are you going to do, though? to rise above that and like, right. And help your team succeed. And that's what Ted kept saying. It's, it's them. It's not Rupert. It's them. It's, you know, like, and Rebecca was making it so personal, like, Oh, Rupert, you know, is, is looking at me this way and Rupert, this Rupert, that, and he's like, no, 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 like them, they, that, you know, it's so interesting. You say this, right? So like I, yesterday, I think it was yesterday or whatever. I was on a panel and randomly in Palm Springs, we were talking about coaching in candor. And someone was just like, well, what do you do when there's someone that needs to be coached? Like, and I had to be like, well, first of all, it sounds like you want to fix this person, right? It sounds like the problem is just this person and not about like the organization in general. Mm -hmm. And like, let's talk about how we actually as a culture want to move forward instead of just wanting to fix this one individual. And I think we always think that, mm -hmm. that if we just get rid of Rupert, everything else will get better and it might get better. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It might get better. But if the, you know, if the culture is still toxic, the culture is still toxic. Exactly. Right. And that's what I think is fascinating. There is again, Ted's not trying to win when he's at that press conference. When when they say, well, what do you think about what Nate Shelley said today? He was just like, oh, well, you know, Nate's a really smart guy and I'm really happy for him. And I'm really, oh, that really pissed off Rebecca. But it was such a really nice thing to say. It's just like, I wish him the best of luck. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I thought it was over, but then he goes into the self-deprecating humor. Mm -hmm. What was your take on the self-deprecating humor? I thought it was brilliant in a way, right? Yeah. Like, I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. I, well, actually, I should say this. I, I did have this thought today that it's a fine line. I think there's there's an aspect of it that is courage. There's an aspect of it that's fear. True. Because it, it and there's an aspect, the fear aspect could get toxic potentially if you're not doing it with intention. So Ted is doing this with intention because he this is what he does. He uses those dad jokes to disarm people. Yep. And that's what he does here, right? And, and Rebecca's initially mad, but then she softens. You see her body language soften because she realizes, you know what, this is who he is. And yeah, and it's fine because he instead of taking the bait and like putting Nate down and being angry or whatever, 
he takes the wind out of Nate's sails, right? Because yes, he does. He addresses every single thing. So I'm a terrible coach. Yep. Oh, hey, I have panic attacks. Yep. Um, hey, I don't know anything about this game. Uh, I don't know anything about British culture. He attacks himself on every single thing that Nate could potentially attack him on. And he's made a joke out of it. So what's Nate going to attack him on now? Right. You know, so I think it was actually really brilliantly used. Which is actually interesting because in Eminem's Eight Mile, he did the same thing. <laughs> He's in a rap battle, and at the end, he wins the rap battle because he makes fun of himself first, and then the other rapper has nothing to say. And that other rapper happens to be uh, uh, Hawk, or not, no, uh, Falcon, Black Falcon later on, or Falcon. But anyway, so nerdy. But yeah, I loved that, but I also loved how at first the media did not yeah. understand or get what he was doing. And he's just like, well, how dumb are you? And they're like, huh? um, um, so how, how dumb are you? I, I have a question. How dumb are you? You know? And he's just like, how crazy are you? And they're like, how crazy are you? Now you're getting it. I was just like, I love that in the span of less than a minute, he was able to get them on board with playing, right? He was getting them on board with like playing this ridiculous game and then they're having fun and they totally forgot that, you know, they're there to like, you know, make him feel ridiculous so they can get a gotcha moment and get him in the news. And they're just, they're vibing with him. And Nate is so angry when he slams his, his uh, laptop. And you also have to remember like, when Nate finishes press conference, he gets a text from his mom. Yeah. And his mom is just like, hey, I saw you on the telly. You know, great job. But your dad is upset with you because you swore. So again, yeah. after he does so well, he's perfect for Rupert. It's never enough. Perfection is never enough. It's never enough. And I think I can't remember if we talked about this. Like perfection is never enough because it's subjective. Right. It is like yeah. what what feels like it should be enough. Yep. is not always going to be enough for other people. So you, the, and this yep. is why perfection is futile, because you can try and try and try and you're still going to disappoint somebody. And in this case, like he still can't get his dad's. He's like the freaking manager of a Premier League team. I know. In less than two years. Right. And right. And he can't get his dad's approval because he's he swore on TV like it seems so small in, you know, and so, yeah, totally. It's it reminds me of, uh, you know, when I used to go to or I still when I go to Filipino gatherings. Right. You know, when you're there, they're if, if they haven't seen you in a while, they're like, oh, you're so skinny. Yeah, you're so skinny. Oh, you have to eat more. You have to eat more. And then you eat more. Right. You even take the food home. And they're like, oh, you're so fat. You're so fat. And then they come back. Right. They're like, oh, you're so fat. You're just so fat. So fat. And there's never a time ever. I've never heard from any of my family members like, ah, oh, you look perfect. I know. You know, don't lose weight. Don't gain weight like you are perfect. It's always one or the other. So it's just like, what's the point of even trying to please that auntie that's going to insult you either way? <laughs> that's so funny. I'm writing an essay right now. And I just wrote that line the other day. I come from a culture where they'll shame you even as they stuff your face with food. <laughs> Right, right. Literally <laughs> handing you, you should not eat as much. Yeah. Look about for diabetes. Here is some fried food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I just wanted to add one thing about Nate was uh, he slammed his laptop shut when he saw the social media had shifted. Right. And they were all now like 
all that external validation he had gotten just earlier that day now has shifted and everyone's all about how Ted's like the nice guy. He's Ted, Ted Classo and, you know, like all those things. So I know we're getting close to the end. So I just want to, I want to make sure we talk about Roy and Keely because I think that's uh, another big one. So Roy for me is in a space of a crisis of confidence in like so many parts of his life. Right. So he starts out that morning, like, defending why they need to go to this old tactic. And uh, one thing that came up for me is he was explaining it and how all the guys, they've been doing this forever, so they'll know where they need to be. And I was thinking, well, if Nate is such a tactician or anybody for that matter, they're going to know too then, right? Like it's right. Right. But he gets very defensive before anybody even says anything to say, well, I, I know I don't have Nate's tactical brain. And so like, I know, right. That's so interesting that he says that because he's like, a premier league player. So yeah, but it's that inner critic that gets in there. Right. right. And starts telling you like, well, you're not good enough and you're not smart enough. You're not whatever enough. And so he's already kind of got that. And, and then we find out towards the end that he has in fact broken up with Keely. Yeah. And so they sit down to have the talk with um, Phoebe and I don't know. I, I'm curious what came up for you, because I'll just say for me, I really honestly didn't see this coming because no. I I really thought the way that this show writes and stuff that because a lot of people are like, oh, well, it was obvious at the end of last season that they were going to break up. And I was like, it wasn't obvious to me because yeah. I really thought like they're both doing so much work at this relationship that they would they would work their way through this. And so that's what I thought. I was really kind of surprised to see that they had. And it's interesting because they're not on the same page about that because Keely says we're on a break. <laughs> we're taking a break. <laughs> and yep. and uh, Roy says we broke up. And so and then Phoebe's like, which one? Which one is it? Yeah. And you see Keely like the whole time she's kind of looking at him and she's not entirely sure. It seems like like what's really happening, you know? It's interesting because he's not really trying to answer why when Phoebe's uh, asking him. So what's the reason? Oh, well, we're busy. Well, you were busy last year. But yeah, now we're more busy. (laughs) And I have my thing and Keely has her thing. And then and then at one point he starts sharing some stuff. And then Keely says, what did she say? She said something like, we're not talking about that. No, no, or? no. He he says, say? he says, you know, Keely has her own business, so she's busy. And you see her kind of go like, whoa. And then he says, also, we had a coach quit. And so now I have to step in. And so she says, she says, Roy, I know that you're scared about that. And so she clicks into it right away. Yeah. And she stops talking because of the look kind of that he gives her. And so I think he can't answer the question because he doesn't really understand what's happening yet. Right. He just, he doesn't realize his own insecurity is getting the best of him right now. He's just in this place of fear. And when you're in that place of fear, uh, your fight or flight is going. So Mm -hmm. your nervous system's out of whack and you can't think straight. And so he doesn't have an answer at that moment. And even when she asks him in the car, like, are you sure this is, you know, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't yeah. know. He thinks that having more time to focus on tactics and focus on this thing is actually going to help him. But he probably will need her more than ever, you know, during this time. But yeah, I will say there's also I don't know if we address this crisis, but there's a crisis with Rupert. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think the crisis with Rupert is 
a lack of meaning, right? Mm-hmm. I'm noticing this a lot. I'm going to write an article about this, about this idea of, you know, many people that have a lot of power and privilege almost suffer from this King Midas uh, curse. Yeah. Where everything they touch turns to gold, but it's like, sh- it's crappy gold, right? So like, He's around wealth all the time, but he, he can't enjoy any of it. He doesn't enjoy any of this stuff. The only thing he probably enjoys is winning, is when he's one-upping someone, when he's, you know, when last year or the year before when he was dating that person and then he got her pregnant and then was able to show that off to Rebecca and show this trophy to Rebecca. Like he constantly has to win in that way. And it's actually such a curse because it's so sad. It's like, you know, it's that Rockefeller effect of like, I need to put my name on everything. I need to put, I need a man spread on everything because I want to make sure that people remember me. But the people that are so obsessed with people remembering them rarely ever get remembered. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's, that is his crisis is like, he's hoping that if he wins this, wins the league and does all this stuff, he's going to be relevant again because he wasn't relevant when he didn't own a team, right? And now he's back in the media. And yeah, it's going to be a pretty sad journey for him. Yeah. Because even if he wins, he's still going to be not satisfied with who he is. Yeah. Well, and the curse from the like the Midas touch is really that when something turns to gold, like it doesn't matter if it's crappy gold or not. It's just that like when he was, you know, touching the people he loved and they turned to gold, like they couldn't, there was no longer that connection. And as human beings, we're hardwired for connection, right? And so as soon as we don't have that anymore, we don't feel safe. And so whether he, you know, he is this big, bad, powerful guy, but that little kid inside of him (laughs) is like, is alone and afraid. And, um, And this is why these people in power often behave the way that they do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that was, I mean, so much stuff. Oh, one last thing I do want to mention. Yeah. Well, the last thing. Yeah. The, the phone call oh. about Jake. Oh, I wasn't even going to say that, but yeah, there's the phone call about Jake. Oh, we got to go into the phone call of Jake. So it starts off with him letting, you know, his son go to England, but at the end, you know, his son has this, gauntlet he has this this uh this present from jake and he's like who's jake his mom's new friend and his yeah mommy's new friend yeah see it lights up and you just see the tears welling up in ted's eyes and he's also thinking like also what am i doing here like yeah what has happened what did i give up because it seems like his mom has moved on and there was an assumption she had already moved on, but he didn't really know that until now he's hearing that he, she really is moving on. Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, um, earlier when he was talking to Dr. Sharon, he, he kind of just, there's an aside, like this story that comes in about a time when his dad forgot to pick him up at school. Right. And so we just get another glimpse into like maybe his dad wasn't always there for him the way that he needed him to be. And so that's all playing in the back of his mind. He's just had this conversation with Beard as they're walking, like, what are what why are we here? Right. Yep. And now, yeah, and now he experiences this with his kid. And so, yeah, for sure. Uh, and the song that comes on at the those end credits is Ring the Alarm by Beyonce, which uh is a perfect 
ending there. And I'm sorry to go back because we just talked about the ending. Wait, wait, why is it a why is it a perfect ending? What is what is the meaning behind the song? Yeah, like ring the alarm that, you know, just that now like there's something more happening back home. Oh. And so this idea of ring the alarm and like let's start to notice what's happening. I did not pick up on that at all. I just wanted to mention Keeley's crisis real quick. So yeah. to me, Keeley's in a place of leadership crisis, um, trying to be an effective leader. And she's got this like CFO who is awesome, by the way. I love I love the whole team. The team is hilarious. Yeah. So Keeley's CFO is played by Katie Wicks, who plays Mary in the show Ghosts. I don't, have you seen the show Ghosts? No, it is phenomenal. So there's the British version, which was the pre-make, the pre-made, the pre-made, which is the pre-make of the uh, American version, which is playing um, here now. But uh, she plays in the British version. And uh, yeah, she's great. But yeah, so I just I, I just wanted to mention that because we saw her breaking down and all these things. But I think she's in this place of figuring out who she is as a leader. And she's already got like this office that hasn't quite gelled yet. And she's trying to figure that out. So I'm sure we're going to see more of this, but I just wanted to mention it. I mean, it hasn't quite gelled. They look like they've <laughs> yeah, never, I was like, how is this never a, spoken this is to a one PR another. agency? Like, yeah, it's just like way like, too quiet. And I believe, I don't know if it was this episode, or the next one where she's like, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And they're all like, what would I, what wouldn't she do? Like, they're like, they do not do anything. Yeah. They don't look like they've ever hung out with each other at all. So yes, that is going to be a fascinating yeah. a journey. All right. So any big takeaways from this episode before we close out? You go first because I, I have, I'm still thinking here. Um, I think my, my big takeaway from this is just that reminder of being human, you know, that for each like two steps we take forward, we're going to end up taking a step backwards. And that's just a part of being human and that's okay. And so that's kind of what I'm taking with me right now. I mean, I'm reminded by the power of play to uh, dismantle tension mm. because I think of how Ted like literally played with the media and really took, you know, the wind out of the sails of Nate but also just, you know, even the play of going to the sewer, right? Which was which was would have been criticized by most people, but that's his his way of of getting them out of their comfort zone and getting them out of their head so that they can have epiphanies. And I feel many times one simply needs to play and even in order to figure themselves out, right? Rediscover who they are. So I found that to be my takeaway. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we're so happy to be back and we will see you again next week. Thanks so much. Yes. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD podcast on Instagram or on our website, www.tldpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, Please share it with your friends, loved ones, 
randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.